artificial intelligence in cancer care, its application. That's what I'm so excited to talk about today with my, I hope I can call friend, Scott Penberthy, who is the director of um, Applied AI for Google. I am Dr. Sanjay Janeja, also known as the Onk Doc on social and news media, and this is Target Cancer Podcast. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm really excited about this one. Hey, Onk Doc, so am I. I'm excited to spend an hour with you. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So I got to tell the viewers the way we became friends is we were we were both we were both keynoting for the ACCC National Conference last year in in West Palm, and I was following you. You were the one that was opening the the conference. And needless to say, being at Google and everything, your presentation, which was, mind y'all, on a projector that's like, that's, you know, a two-dimensional projector looked like it was in seven dimensions <laughs> and that we're just being like all this stuff. And I had my little, you know, Microsoft PowerPoint 92 to 94 windows like to follow. And I was just mortified, but I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you still talked to me after my abysmal, you know, follow-up compared to your presentation. Um, but, it, but it fascinated me for so many reasons. Uh -huh. But the first thing I'd like to start with and I'm sure you get this question all the time. Mm -hmm. And I get annoyed by it, quite frankly. And it's like, it's like, is AI going to take over like medical care, right? Or is, is it, you think AI is really going to work out? They make it sound like this binary thing, which I think is absolutely crazy. Like it's like a AI or bust. And, you know, it's obviously a tool or just a, a basically a fortification of kind of streamlining things, making sure things are more standardized and really aiding medical care, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think Sanjay, um, it's going to be, I think as, as revealing as, you know, when we were at that meeting, you know, my brother was asking a question to the audience and is full of amazing oncologists from all over the United States. And he said, um, look, everybody, what's your favorite technology that's really changed your practice over 10 years? You know, and being the AI nerd that I am, I'm thinking, oh, it's got to be next generation sequencing. It's going to be CAR-T therapy. It's got to be mutotherapy, mRNA-based mRNA -based drugs. No. I said, Zoom. I was like, what? And then they said, oh, TikTok's right behind that. And I'm like, this is not what I expected. And, and they said, you got to understand. It. So I talked to them afterwards. I'm like, I don't know that whether to be depressed or excited. And they said, no, Scott, it's like, think about it. If a patient wants to reach me, I can reach them now and have a human-human connection in my off hours. If it's bad weather, I can still see the patient. And it allows, allows me to spend more time with my patients than I could before, especially someone who's in, dealing with cancer. They don't feel so well. They can stay at home. I'm like, that's genius. And then, that's true. And then, um, and they said, also, I want help with pajama time. And I, said, I said, what? So that's why they like you, Onk Doc. I said, why do you like Onk Doc so much? And they said, oh, he's great. I said, well, I know he's great, but why? And they said, because when I'm going to go grab one of those ham sandwiches out of the, out of the dispensary, right? Just some hospital. I have like two minutes. And so I want to get a video snippet. If I like it, I'll mark it and I'll read it later. I'll follow up on YouTube or whatnot. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. And so it started to change my perspective a bit of our practicing oncologist. And I thought, um, I think the next thing you're going to say very soon is if it was Zoom and things like it, it's going to be AI next. In the sense that it's going to give them back that pajama time it's going to take a lot of the burden off of being an oncologist and get them more about, let's talk about the science. Let's talk about helping patients. Let's get people to feel better. And let's, at the same time, let's, let's write this down better than we ever could before. We'll have these amazing write-ups that will be auditable with all the references. I'll get to know the latest research because it'll suggest, hey, have you read this paper? No, what's that? Give me a two-minute video. 
I think that's where it's headed in the sense that it's going to be the technology that everyone's going to say in a very short period of time, that has changed my practice more than anything else. Now, it's going to come in, um, what I think is not where AI researchers think. You know, I grew up at MIT, you know, dating myself, uh, we did rule-based systems, expert systems. It was all the rage in the mid-80s. And we love this thing called mycin. And they're like, it's getting no traction. It's a rule-based system. It did better diagnostics than some doctors on cases. And doctors, they talk to, I don't want it. What do you mean you don't want it? Like I talked to a GI, great GI just recently. She goes, I don't want an AI diagnosing me. Like, but it's so effective. She goes, no, what I want to do is gather the darn information for me from all these systems, from all the hospitals and put it in front of me. I can make a decision like that. It's that I spend all the time where my nurse's assistant finding this stuff. That's where I want help. I'm like, I get it. So now as AI, I think is going to be as powerful as Zoom was, it's going to enable you to make a much better practice and much better doctor. And it's the kind of thing where rising tide raises all boats. So as it's helping you, it goes, hey, check this out. And it could be on top of all the latest research, all the latest techniques, all the latest tests. And it just relieves that burden. So I, I'm yeah. really excited. It's a long answer, I think, Sanjay, but that's where I think it's headed in the sense that it will be as indispensable as the internet and electricity are today in the practice. It gives me goosebumps when you say that. And and I'm, I'm sure people are hearing this and they're like, but how, but how, but how? And I, you know, to use your example of maybe in the 1980s compared to now, this is just one sliver yeah. of an example on the spectrum. But the way we were practicing in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was all predominantly what's called histopathology. So like you take the piece of the tissue, stain it with a bunch of colors, mm -hmm. you know, if it has a certain receptor or, or, you know, feature or whatever, IHC, all this stuff. And you look at it and we grouped our treatment indices based on the histopathology. So mm -hmm. one, is it like squamous cells, carcinoma, how how differentiated is it? Meaning like you can kind of recognize, you know, the cells. It's a visual, right? would... it's a visual cue, right? Exactly, yeah. it's a visual tool, but they're just very gross buckets, like very kind of big, big buckets. And mm -hmm. then we would add what we saw in histopath with the, the side of the primary tumor. Now, fast forward, and, and th at that time, I could see how you just needed to know the histopath, the primary place, and there wasn't that many drugs in 1990 or 80 like it yep. is now. Yep. Now, what we're doing is we're realizing, and some people actually say, that the place that a tumor originates, to some degree, will actually be less like relevant at, at some point in the future. And the reason for that is, the reason we said, well, we know ovarian behaves this way and is platinum-sensitive. Mm -hmm. We know small cells platinum-sensitive. The truth is we're learning there's something about that tumor that makes it sensitive, like more so than just the tumor of origin. There's some characteristic on now a molecular level mm -hmm. and a next genomic sequencing where you were talking way beyond, like way smaller than what you see on a slide. There's when, Once we can identify what all of those things are, and there are hundreds, then all of a sudden you're profiling and getting an idea of what somebody will like and not like or what a, uh, what you know chemo or treatment something will be sensitive to or not yep. based on so many more features. But if in the oncology we're still practicing this way, yet we have all the data and science behind this thing, one sliver of application like you were talking about could be AI querying, hey, we understand that it's ovarian or lung, but then when we do an analysis on all of these different reports that has XG971728 mm -hmm. and that they seem to have better efficacy with platinum when you add this, or really you substitute the platinum with this in this case, and you do that for hundreds of different things mm -hmm. that apply to that one tumor, Whereas an oncologist that's in the community is, is seeing several different tumor types and keeping up with the actual mutations and that, that and the other, that is where the AI can assist to have this whole more personalized 
like like medicine that we're gravitating towards to. And if you want to like talk about the complexity of the tumor itself and mm -hmm. all these profiles, we're learning to think about it in a in a different way. Mm -hmm. Then you could also talk about all the things we're starting to incorporate that are around the tumor. Mm -hmm. Now as an oncologist, I'm supposed to be responsible for even the RNA features of the immune cells that are my own immune cells that are around the tumor that may have kept my immune cells from attacking that tumor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm supposed to keep track of that as well. And then what if those RNA and immune cells actually apply differently, whether it's pancreatic or if it's lung or if it's like, that is where we are not like could be headed. That is where we're headed and what we know. Yep. But what, how good is something that you know if you can't apply it the man of Google, the director of applied AI, to be like, what good is it if you're not using it? And then, and everyone deserves a democratized care. So the way I think about it is, it democratizes, kind of evens the playing field, increases the tide with water, or whatever the analogy was that was beautiful that you said, um, to basically enable and equip this kind of like concentrated thing where the brain needs to be applied mm -hmm. to do all of this to make sure that it's equalized with the AI so that now you can put the brain application for why we go to school for 15 years in a row mm -hmm. to then make decisions based on at least being up to date or caught up to speed on everything that exists on what we know about the tumor type as it's evolved so quickly. Yeah, I is think, fair? yeah, I think you did. And, and there's a lot of uh, science which just walked through some day. And I think what's, what I find interesting is when I was in school initially, we didn't have these technologies to look at that data. It's at a nanoscale and nanoscale, you know, you, you hear these words, but to, to figure out what it, what it means, is like, you know, a millimeter on a ruler, you know, that, how small that looks, right? A nano is 100,000. Dividing that little millimeter by 100,000 slices. I mean, that's tiny. 100,000, a little millimeter. Now you can visualize how small that is, right? And the, tech, the devices to read that didn't exist back then. And now you get it because it's so small. If you take a little nanometer, right? And you... Uh, you know, you cube it, you, you're able to basically get like an exhibit of information in that very, very tiny little moment. Oh my God. And so you have so much data now pouring out of a body. You know, it's like we have our own personal internet now. You know, basically think of all the data that comes from YouTube every day. That's pouring out of us, right? Every individual. And so how do you make sense of that? And what we're finding is companies are like, hey, we've done correlations for years. You take some analytes, you take some measurements, you know, your, your height, your weight, your, your concentration of different, you know, a, A1C, and you can find correlations and say, oh, this indicates you're pre-diabetic. This indicates you may have this cancer. And now we're having people going, oh, I got, I, I got an idea. I said, what? I'm going to dumpster dive the blood. What do you mean dumpster dive the blood? Oh, in the blood, which cleans a lot of things in our body, um, whenever cancer reproduces, it throws off stuff like a snakeskin. It throws stuff off called cell-free DNA, CFDNA. And in that are tiny, tiny, you know, hairs, but nanoscale size hairs of sequences of stuff, little characters, right? A, T, C, G. And someone goes, I bet if we look at that trash in the blood and we can figure out, just like how an AI can see cats or not, you know, on, the, on YouTube, can we use the same AI to say cancer or not? I don't know. But if I can look at that data, which I couldn't see, a few years ago, but you know, and ju and just ten years ago, it was like over a hundred million dollars to get the data. Now it's going to be like thirty-five bucks, a hundred bucks, and I'm like, oh my goodness! So now I use AI to say all the things you're talking about for the cancer. Let me see what these correlations that are happening. Understand? Do you have cancer or not? Yes or no? Okay, if you if you do that, how about feed that into the next one that says, well, what or what is the uh, tissue of origin? Oh, it came from the lung. What? 
oh yeah, what stage is it at? Three. Like, what? And so they said, it turns out if you have the data, and now you can use these AI techniques that were initially were just used for perception, and so that you read the data you couldn't see before, because it's very, very small, nanoscale, 100,000 per that. And these are like 10 to, 10 to 150 wide. So tiny, right? 150 out of 100,000. Imagine how small that is, right? You can't even see it on a ruler. The AI reads a stack of those and goes, yeah, no, they don't have cancer. What's the, ch what's the chance of that? Very, very low. Oh, you mean I don't need to do a breast biopsy? No, she's fine. Or it indicates she has cancer. She feels fine. Now that says stage one, according to the, according to the data. We should take a look. And that that is a company called Grail. And that was a simple idea of, could I use AI to dumpster dive the blood and detect cancers? And I think what we're seeing, Sanji, is that that, is that will become the norm in the sense that since we have, and you need an AI because we all done correlations for years. This thing, whenever you see A, B happens, that's a correlation. You use basic statistics. But if you want to deal with things like an image, how do you describe a cat to a computer? I mean, my goodness, it's impossible. Well, not if you give it a bunch of examples. And the computer goes, oh, I can figure out the equation to go from pixels to cat. The same way it does that, it can figure out to go from RNA and your cell-free DNA to say what's happening in the cancer. And that's super exciting. Because now, when the test gets below the threshold of like a standard blood test, you know, $170, $250, it's getting there. Today, it's still thousands. And so we only pay for it if it's like, we tried everything else, man. Just like, she's in a bad strait. Let's go get an, a test. Okay, $6,500 approved. $15,000 approved. It's going to be soon like a blood test, right? There's companies now who can do it for 100 bucks, And so you're like, oh, this is awesome. So you'll be, you'll be, doing cancer and doing a sequence to understand what's happening both in the in the genome and the epigenome and be able to use, use AI as a tool now for diagnostics. That we talked about at that meeting is that it's just a new data source. We've all been doing correlations and statistics for years, except now the AI tools that we've been using for detecting cats and recognizing language like you see the, the recent bots that just came out where you type a question and answers it's amazing. That's not going to be used for medicine. And I think that that's dope. That's really cool. So it, it, it's so cool. And I feel very ignorant because I didn't realize that Grail was, it uses AI to be able to quantify. Like that's how they have their observational awareness. Isn't that of, neat? Of, yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And anyone that's listening, it's like, you know, the reason when you're talking about stages too, I imagine it's because one, you have the DNA of like the, whether it's cancer or regular tumor, the point is it's collecting DNA regardless. It's, it's the blood. just able. Yeah. Oh, right. Like, Anyone saying, well, how do you know it's cancer? Because it's because you know all your cells should have more or less what you were inherently born with, like what you were given, right? And so if you're seeing things that have these kind of mutations, especially if in all, all the things we know, they correlate with a malignant or invasive uh, process, because we also have all the sequencing for that stuff, yep. every invasive breast cancer, we know what changes occur. That's what this AI system was looking at, saying, look, these are the things that are actually a shades different than your inherited uh, mutation. And it, uh, it, it, it's some that we have identified that are you know 99% correlative with an invasive breast cancer. So boom, that's how you're able to tell on the grail. Yep. In addition to the fact that when a cancer becomes invasive, so um, somebody might say, well, what do you mean invasive or not? It's like in situ or DCIS, yep. that's a stage zero. Incite you in the bladder. As a different, as a cancer, but it hasn't invaded in the tissue yet. Now you can also talk about all the different little signals that occur when there is an invasion of a rogue colony of cells that are unregulated. And now I'm sure there's a whole AI being formatted to say we can even localize to where these like little signals of 
you know, the flares of being on the ship when you're stranded are occurring to hopefully be able to precisely pinpoint where that lesion is. And that way you can get it out sooner. Um, because our standard imaging, right? CT scans take, you know, I'm told like a hundred million plus cells to see it in one place. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother conversation. Cause now I know there's AI one that's so unbelievably brilliantly gifted that it can just like, know just the slightest difference that would look normal in a scope or a CT scan. It can just query that immediately. Mm -hmm. and number two, there are AI things that are happening to even be able to look at metabolic uptake. So now you're not talking about needing a, an aggregate of cells to see it on a, on a bunch of glorified pictures of a CAT scan, but you can actually see that like that little bit of a light up uh, that AI technology can appreciate can say, hey, that increase in whatever frequency, vibrance, whatever the you know nerdy term is, um, able to isolate it much, much earlier. Mm -hmm. I've been, I've got a new mentor. His name's uh, Dr. Leroy Hood, right? So the guy who invented the Human Genome Project and invented the sequencing and, you know, he's uh, 85, does 200 push-ups right, you know, before nine o'clock in the morning and 200 squats amazing guy right um 85 and he's big on the longevity and what and he's got this thing he calls um phenomics he says genomics isn't enough that's just uh that's what you know uh the creator gave you your dna there's so much more of the epigenome you know to actually get the genes to express he said so what i want to do is i want to take the dna but also all the metabolics i want to take the scans i want to take all the data we have and then find patterns from that because that changes every second, right? Your heart rate, right? The heart rate variability from like a, a Fitbit and your current temperature, that changes all the time. That's one sample point. And he says, if I can take this, we can find transitions before you feel them. And so even you, you talk, mentioned, you know, it's, you have to do a CAT scan, but you have to get like hundreds of thousands of cells to see even a blip. Well, is the body giving off other indications like a fever does that something's going amiss? There may be other things in the blood, other metabolism in the gut biome, that you could detect before you can see the cells. And if you have enough patience, it can say, oh, given this combination of phenomics, different indicates in the body, something's going on. And given history of patients, it looks like he might be precancerous. Wow. Because it, because the body's reacting. It knows something's missed. We don't have the tools yet to see it, but oh, your body's giving a tell. And that's this next thing we call phenomics, where I spend a lot of time at Google, is figuring out, well, my goodness, how do you reason with that and what's the cloud to perform that and how do you make that as easy as like just typing into a prompt right and, and are asking a, a bot and getting an answer i mean that's the tool and and that's going to be available to everybody every oncologist and that so the idea is you're doing a summary and it goes uh you should take the you, you should probably do a sequencing test what's an ngs or oh, next generation of sequencing tap for more oh what are one of those things and it comes in and it goes you want a digital diagnostic well, what's that oh, I can run a test to figure out right now while you're waiting, uh, what's the correlate that might be precancerous because we're, we're seeing some indications of that, like how are that? Completely digital because it's already been safely, securely provided. And that's where it's headed. And so imagine, imagine getting insane. test results like within minutes, right? And, and that's because what, the, what they're doing is they're looking at a digital version of the patient and a digital data that can help you diagnostic. And I think the point here is that much like Zoom helps you with patients, imagine this in your hands. So now you're, your patient, there's always something over your shoulder saying, have you thought about, have you considered, here's a test you might want to consider, where you make the decision, you do the diagnosis. But that's, that's truly helpful, right? So that as you do with patients, you know, and, and there's companies, there's countries like India who said, well, it's great for the practitioners, maybe 100,000 in the US, small population, relative. And they're like, We've got a lot of people we're trying to help in India. 
where you don't have a chain of liability, which is they're not getting anything. Can we give them something? And they're they're experimenting with giving diagnosis online. I love that, right? And I, you know, they're all they're doing it for things that are well known, like upper respiratory infection. You know, just the basics. You look, you know, you you have your, you you've got some basic and and they're starting with that. But the idea is, could you actually diagnose because it's high certainty and maybe have someone you know quality assure that, like it goes to clinician saying looks like it says yeah yeah go ahead pr- approve, then DoorDash the medicine. And they're like, what if you make a mistake? So that's like point, it's a very small fraction. But in India, it's like, we tried our best. At least you got something. In the Western world, there's a chain of, li- there's a chain of liability where we struggle with that, right? So I think this is so, really exciting. Like- so I think initially in the Western world, we're going to see this in a very short period of time, powering all doctors. Um, and just think of the kind of care we can all get now. And, you know, for pennies on the dollar. And it's crazy because it actually works both ways. It's not just the fact that it can help the sensitivity or like the timeliness of a diagnosis, right? So it's amazing that it can prompt you. You can say like, you know, the doctor can say, hey, I'm seeing these, you know, I don't know if it's like basal metabolic rate or the, yeah. what part of the phenom- uh, phenomics, right? Called the you're phenom. talking about. The phenome. It's a genome. Phenom. The phenome's right. like, it's your genome plus a point in time of everything else, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. So those things are prompts that can then say, hey, this is a good time to check something. But if you think about it, it's, it's such a barbaric way that we even do like our screening, right? So it's like mammograms, we just do them once a year. And it's like a lot of times I'll have a breast cancer patient that goes, well, we wouldn't have seen it eight months ago, but they've seen it like, you know, 11 months ago last year. And I'm like, well, it could have just been in that window where like, you know, it, it wasn't visualizable a year ago or nine months ago, but but then maybe in the last four months they would have seen it because it's more aggressive. And it's like we're picking these arbitrary times based on how many times Earth, you know, basically um, goes around the sun, mm-hmm. just randomly like, hey, here's twelve months. Yeah, random. Imagine what could happen is if if year to year you have these assessments and you can see that the base the baseline is no different than it was the last year, the year prior, the year prior. Then why am I getting the mammogram? Because it's like there's a ninety nine point nine nine percent chance, like it's like there's no change based on that, you know, these features that you're talking about, both both phenome or phenomics and like circulating tumor DNA, whatever those metrics are. Now you can actually reserve an investigation for at least with some kind of support rather than just literally shooting in the dark about a, I don't know, again, twelve months. So what it can have like, you know, profound economic cost savings because like now you're just on shooting in the dark with the colonoscopies and the other. Yeah. But the second thing is you know, the thing that really hurts me is every patient in the 30s, right? And maybe, you know, 40s. Well, every patient, obviously, it breaks my heart. But the, but they're like, I went to the ER like, you know, 10, 12 times last year. Or they'll say, my daughter, like the mother says that. If You think if once they would have scanned her belly, they would have saw, seen this ovarian mass before it's stage four. They would have seen this appendiceal mass before it's stage four. Yep. Incurable meaning. And I'm like, you know, it's it's so hard. But the truth is, it's like, well, st- the statistical likelihood was just very low. And therefore, they didn't do it. But that is not, that is just computational, like in the sense of what you were talking about earlier. That's just the pers- the likelihood of a 34-year-old is just too low to justify the cost of CCN. Now, I will hopefully have less of those questions of just like with me biting my tongue and not admitting that. Because now you'll have a phenome. Right, that mm-hmm. actually supports their degree of concern. It's not just gas. Not, you know, and so many times they're told it's just gas or, or menstruation. Yep. I'll have a phenotypic or or more, you know, uh, much more nano uh, degreed assessment of some actual biochemical changes or what, those flares that we talked about that mm-hmm. you said you could tell that something's going on. They're usually called interleukins and cytokines and a whole bunch of little signaling that yep. we all take for granted that our body's doing all the time. It can now justify the prompt 
the prompts for investigation, but also offload a lot of the fear and anxiety and false biopsies and false, you know, like, you know, shadiness, um, because you have a baseline to compare to. I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's and it's awesome. And it's immersed- just a, it's a new signal. I mean, it's, I think it's as empower- empowering as a microscope was when it was first discovered. Or the fact that we discovered you should probably wash your hands before, you know, Nightingale before, before you give a surgery saved all kinds of lives. We didn't know, you know, in the 1800s, you just do surgery one patient to the next during the war. And like, why are people dying? Because you oh, didn't wash your hands, dude. <laughs> you know, right. and, and the discovery of bacteria, then they had the microscope. And now we do things at a nanoscale. We have AI where, you know, it's a, it's a blood draw today. You know, the volume of blood depends on the concentrations of things. You know, and some things you do with a drop of blood, some with small uh, vials. And now they're looking at things like spit or, you know, or just, you know, fecal, you know, fecal wipe, those sort of things. Can you look at that, which is, largely non-invasive compared to a colonoscopy compared to something else, to, to actually give you a signal is, is it time for a different kind of test, right? And it's it's more information for you as an oncologist to then make the call or to justify, you know, particular expense for a patient, right? And I think that is just, you know, I think within a decade you'll go, and maybe that's soon, within a decade you'll go to a doctor and go, so how do we ever go to a doctor and not do this before, right? It's like, you know, like, like discovery of bacteria, like, of course you wash your hands between patients. Like, of course you do a sequence before you see a patient. It's just like, you know, practice Same 101. Day. We're not there yet. Um, but in the labs, they are running this at 100 bucks for a whole sequence. Um, and there is a bit of yeah. computation I mean, to understand it. And we're trying to figure out the models for that. But that's happening like now, right? And people, because you read things at a nanoscale, they're doing things like the HER2 cancer, or, you know, these personalized cancer vaccines where they can figure out and read it and build you a custom vaccine to, doesn't cure it, but basically use your immune system to attack the tumor. And they feel that it's gone away. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. Yeah, all because it's like, like the smaller you get, the more data you have, right? Because you're drilling down. And if you go that small, right. it's an explosion of data. Why well, do you use cloud-based AI for that? And that's kind of the, that's the magic. Right. It's, I mean, it's the difference of like, you know, it'll seem so obtuse what we use for our discernment. It's like, which book is the most applicable for to execute this task at hand? And I'm looking at either the whole book, four or five covers. Like I may do that. Do they have weight loss? Do they look ill? What's their sodium and albumin and protein? Do they look like they're malnutrition? You know, yep. versus getting a little bit of a better sample. If I could read a chapter of each book, then I can have a better idea of which which book is like more applicable to the task at hand. And now you're talking with AI. We're talking like read the entire book, analyze every letter. Like it's like it's just a bigger depth, and it has and then decide which book to. Eat. Yeah, it's just right. it's, it's as powerful as. You know, when many, many years ago, we used to have Encyclopedia Britannica and those sort of things. You know, I, I read about those. And, it, you know, basically you buy the world's information in a set of books. It's sort of a crazy idea. But that's what it was. And the internet hit. And no, no, no one has encyclopedias anymore. I think the same thing is going to happen now. Instead of all these different books and publishings and papers, you're just going to have an AI sitting next to you. Right? And that's going yeah. to be able to assist you. And it's, it's going to get the papers that are published that morning. Right? And be able to ask any questions and find patterns. And then... What it'll do is it'll say, hey, I just read this paper. When? When did it come out? Four o'clock yesterday. What? Because you're dealing with cancer. And it goes, yes, yeah, some researchers in Finland just found this recent correlation. Should it want to copy the paper? Yeah, here it is. What does this mean for me? So you, you'll have a conversation like that with the information, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's like the we're at the mercy of a newsletter right now for updates. And I need the newsletter from Leukemia Lymphoma Society and from you know, sequencing, whatever, instead of all that, like just this curated, beautiful list of everything that's like literally come out in the last 24 hours. And it's a, it's a 
personalized, like modifiable, like just complete high yield of the things that are applicable. Even to my patients this week, I could just query in all the people, what tumor types they have, yeah. which ones have progressed, which one whatever. Tell me everything that's in the interval that's happened in the last seven days. Yeah. Here you go. Here's yeah. all the relevant stuff to today. Yeah. And think of this, Sanjay, the people say, well, gosh, well, you know, who make money doing that today, right? There's livelihoods that to basically call information and and provide it to you. And that, that's a that's a viable business. They're like, what about AI? I said, oh, no, no, no. The AIs will subscribe. What? Oh, yeah, they'll read it. I like. The AIs will subscribe. So you're you're going to have an AI and you go, oh, I just pay for, I have all these 15 uh, subscriptions. They're my favorites. Read those for me and summarize them for me every day. No problem. Right? And so, Unreal. so and then what happened is, because who has, I mean, you get a lot of things and you'd like to get more, you don't have time to read, Right? And you're brilliant. You can you can ingest things quickly. And so, how do you have something help you? Saying, "Hey, this came in a newsletter. When did it arrive? Oh, this morning at five a.m. Oh, neat. Here's something really interesting related to your patient. Oh, cool. Then it shows you the newsletter that you get to read yourself, and then judge. Right. So it's like it's like everyone has a chief of staff, and that's running today. Today. That's unbelievable. And it's just and like, sure like wow. So all that stuff we just have to do clawing through piles of papers, even from the internet. Internet's great. Encyclopedia has got, we still got to read. Well, why not just yeah. have these things read for you and in context of it's the patient. stuff that doesn't matter. Right, right exactly. Or in context con- of, you just have an idea in the car and you go, I heard about CAR-T therapy because the, I saw this thing that Sanjay did with pool balls. It's pretty cool. Can you explain CAR-T therapy? Oh, why don't you add it? It's talking to you in the car. And he said, yeah, send it to my reading list. Bam. Oh, actually, I don't have time to read. Send me five TikToks on that. I mean, that, that's, unreal. that's today, my friend, that's, that's like running now. And so how do we get this out? And it's, it's super, super exciting. Super, super exciting. Interesting. You know, it's the thought that a provider and a patient even could share a portal where they put the modifiers that matter. I have a KRAS mutated colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. I have an EGFR mutated lung cancer. I have a BRCA positive one, um, you know, excuse me, breast cancer that has progressed on platinum therapy. Now you have these modifiers and now everything that's being filtered to see what is working in the people that have are bracket positive breast cancer that progress on platinum therapy, don't, that now you've narrowed down the subset. And we're talking in a very macro way. We, we, you, could, you could whittle that down to so many things based on the profile of that new tumor. And you just have this curated, it, it brings a whole new definition to the word of curated. It's like a neo-curated version on a molecular level of everything that is relevant to your clinical scenario based on what you progressed on didn't the profile is in a in a sequencing capacity for your tumor type as well as the you know maybe the the bio environment around the tumor and 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 you get it all in one place i mean it's just it's 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 insane and you know that kind of makes me think about well what i was going to say earlier that i remembered was that when you were talking about how the things shed and you can kind of get an earlier idea of what's changing, yep. we are starting to recognize that in sequencing. We'll do a lot of these sequencing companies, not a lot, a few, will have a thing where in four to six weeks you can redraw this nano level stuff that you can like, uh, you know, maybe basically be able to interpret. Mm-hmm. And now you'll see these pictures on these forms that are the different alleles with different mutations. And if anyone's listening to this and they're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I didn't know why I had different. It's because cancer is like kind of polyclonal. Like once it's, you know, grown enough, they all start having inherently in their own colonies, different, you know, kind of profiles. Just like, you know, respectfully, like Taiwan is like, you know, we're different than China and Pakistan's like we're different than India. So it's like, it's like it's similar, but but they start to evolve differently. Mm -hmm. And so imagine getting the AI uh, technology to be able to appreciate 
done moment rather than three months later, six months later on the repeat scan where you like have a big macro mass you can see now. And it's like, I wonder why this isn't responding, but everything else is because it evolved a long time ago. Right. But if you were able to pick that up on a, a very small scale, you could have addressed that when it was a N of one rather than an yeah, N that's, of that's the hope. And I think that's, you know, the whole thing with phenomics is can we do this before you even see them in current instruments, right? That'd be amazing. And, you know, Lee is convinced that, as he says, just give me a million patients over 10 years we're going to change the whole field of medicine. And instead of being a sick care, it's going to be healthcare. Because right now we respond to tumors. We don't, because we can't see them, right? We often don't, you know, prevent our changed lifestyles to prevent tumors from growing in the first place because we don't have the tools for it. He thinks we do now uh, with the next generation sequencing, what he calls hyperscale AI, which we now see some of this, you know, last November, we're starting to see what these large models can do. It's amazing. Um, and so I think that's- I think Paul's- Yeah, it's worth, worth, definitely where it's headed. I think Paul Billings, I had him, I know it's a very general name, but he, uh, he's been doing similar things for a long time. We had him on our podcast and he was talking about the same thing, I guess, that, to a degree that Leroy is. It's, it's the changes that occur even before the cancer becomes a malignant invasive cancer, right. that you have these changes in a micro environment that show that something's a little screwed up or not right or sketchy. And that you, if you detect that, so for him, I think they were looking at, um, uh, intrapapillary mucinous like uh, neoplasm, basically an IPMN, which is like a pre-pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. He's like, if you could ice, if you can figure that out before it becomes an invasive pancreatic cancer, because there are things that you can recognize on the metabolic level, you know, similarly, same thing, get the problem before it even becomes a problem. I, you know, social media has humbled me because I used to be in that traditional, you know, doctor fellow mindset when I came out of fellowship. It's like anything you hear is bogus, people don't know. But I've learned very quickly that there's, it's worth investigating anything that sounds radical to a very traditionally, you know, trained doctor. Like there is truth to when people say that there's, you know, things that we don't know. And some were about how a cat basically is able to smell cancer early on before like, oh, you know, the cancer happens or yeah. someone's dying. And then, you know, a dog or some, some bat and they, they, you see these things pop up every now and then. And I think from what I could investigate that there may be some truth to that. And that's that there is some basically either based on your sweat, we're all sweating all the time. Anyone listening to this, even if you can't see it, it's just, it's a, it's a nice Delta because it's evaporating the moment it comes out to keep your body temperature cool. But there are things that AI obviously can help with. I'm sure I can't smell per se, but where you can even recognize the same concept, some kind of metabolic byproduct or anything that's either in your sweat, mm -hmm. how you smell, in your pheromones, in your stool. Apparently you can catch a whole bunch of like products of, of either distress or calamity or unwellness that starts to happen on that like microenvironment, uh, micro right? yeah. that microbiome environment. Yeah. And everyone's like in little pigeonholes all over the world studying it. Then you apply AI to just be like, yo, I got this. Give me everything that you've recognized. Give me all this stuff that you've like like isolated. Let's see what their outcomes were. And now they can start talking about all those different like like proteins and antigens and the byproducts and all that everything. It can just help analyze to say, yo, these are some of the things that happens in poop when somebody is either like on their last stretch or has a cancer evolving or anything else. So it's not the purpose isn't to replace like doctors. Like I hope anyone listening to this can understand that. Yeah. The purpose is to bring us from here in an obtuse level of saying like, oh, well, like, how long have you not had a good appetite for? How long have you, what are your lives? Like in this very macro obtuse way, instead of really improve your yield so you don't go home saying, well, the doctor said everything was fine. A lot of people have heard. It's not that they don't care. It's just the, the, the tools we have to work with 
now we're learning is so like far less than what something is capable of being able to really precisely make us see. Like, whereas again, reading each letter of the entire book and then deciding book which book we need versus just looking at the cover. Right now we're on the covers. Yep. And we have technology to just go down to the pixel. Oh yeah, and it's what's wild, Sanjay, is that the, um, the technology we're dealing with, uh, one of the new signals is basically the language of life itself. You know, the, the uh, nucleotides, A, T, C, G, and then U. That's a language. Exosomes. Right, it's a language. And now we've got 3.2 billion of these things just in the DNA. Now you have the RNA, you had all the epigenome, you had the proteins and that, that come from the tumor itself. But the universe speaks to us. The universe has a language. And maybe the cats be able to somehow, you know, from all the pheromones and stuff, be able to detect what's going on. But smell would be a language too. So the question is, if we're building machines that can understand the human language, we're starting to see it starting to understand the language of physics and the language of, of biology and life itself. That's the tool that's being built. And so you're bringing that now into daily care where it's as accessible as basically can you access the cloud, right? And and so I, and I said, well, gosh, what do you do with it? It sounds almost science fiction. And then I, I've been working with a gentleman of Israel, Ron Siegel, and Dr. Siegel has basically taken a similar phenome, the idea of, you know, the genome plus all well, the sample data he's got, and he can actually process now for a few thousand dollars. It's amazing. And he did this and he looked at diabetes, not, not cancer, but it's related. And he said, um, let's do this. Let's have patients wear a continuous glucose monitor, CGM, and get it from levels or somebody like that today. You just buy it. And let's have them write down what they eat, you know, record it and take a picture. But be, you know, you got to be attentive to that, which you know, compliance is hard. But write down what you eat, and what we're going to do is we're going to record the glycemic response, like how your what happens to your blood sugar over a few hours afterwards. He goes, we do that for two weeks, just two weeks. They never have to wear a CGM again. I'm like, oh come on. He said, no, no, it's working. He said, so what happens is the AI can look at your signals if it has a, a, a depiction of what's happening. It can predict the glycemic response as good, if not better, than the device that's only a very thin sliver inside your skin. I'm like, that's crazy. And he's, no, no, that's real. And so that's an idea. That's just one example, Sanjay. If what, what you can do if you can find the signal in the language of nature that we understand the math. It's a correlation, basically. It's a prediction. But it's at such high dimensionality that you need something that can actually you know, generate the images you see from stable diffusion, mid-journey, that can actually answer questions from these chatbots today that's the power. And I'm just so excited to bring that into practice. And it's, it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a programmer at heart. So I'm learning from you and others in oncology. But we're viewing oncology, a lot of the problems is a programming problem now. Can we understand the bug? Like what's wrong? And can we understand what are the things you do to fix the bug? And then what are steps you can take to repair it? Right? And that's what we talked about at that, that, that uh, talk where the steps you can take to repair it are things like CRISPR you know, germline changes or the things you can take that um, cause a metabolic pathway to kick in, right? Which is like a drug or something else or call the immune system to activate. Those are actual possibilities. And the AI is helping us figure that out. That's crazy. And yeah. Anyone that's, you know, you we were talking about CRISPR and then you went, you would just went, you took CRISPR and you just amplified it by a thousand to me what, what, what can be accomplished or achieved. Anyone listening, at, I don't know that we talked about it directly, but basically the concept is replacing the errors that are the blueprint or the primer for you to make the cell. Say, say for example, you have a red blood cell problem, like you have a hemoglobinopathy, so you can't make your hemoglobin well. 
and you were born with that, right? Single cell disease, whatever. Then imagine that that error or that issue that was causing you to have that like kind of you know messed up architecture to your hemoglobin. Imagine you repaired it. Like that's, repair that, it. that's literally what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we and we find you know in other areas related to that, you know, there's a, there's a type of blindness which is, has to do with one letter change in the retina of the DNA. And if you have this type of blindness, uh, um, basically you can actually get an injection in the eye. My uncle had this. Get the injection in the eye, and then Edward Scissorhands goes to work inside the inside the DNA of your of your retina, changes the letter. And if you had had sight before, the reason that's important is that you want your neocortex, the brain, to be able to process the signal that comes from your eye, right? The signal turns back on. People can see again. I'm like, Dad, that's like biblical. That's amazing. And that's one letter. And we haven't even thought about, and imagine being able to swap things and other other repairs that we're just now getting started. So we're just, we're starting very gingerly, very carefully. Let's try one letter. Because that's what we study anyway, these single nucleotide polymorphisms, SNPs, right? Those are the markers you get from a test. So we said, let's go change one and see if that, see if we can help people. That's so cool. It's so cool. What do you say to the people that, you know, argue like, not argue, but just propose? They're like, well, okay, well, if you could do that, then you could make everyone 2020 and then you could make everyone like, you know, never gain weight, you know, point one over like you, and you can manipulate it if the answer, yeah, that's true, and if that happens, that's just like one of the, you know, things that a hundred years from now that would 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 be a potential consequence, or is it logistically, economically something that would only be done by the rich? Like, that's a very abstract question, but people ask that all the time. Well, if you can engineer, you know, disease, then you can engineer phenotypes just for cosmetic reasons and desirability, and and then now you start making super people, but the <laughs> super people are the only ones that could afford the super people technology. Is that? A, I mean, I guess that's a, that's theoretically a real, I guess, possibility, correct? But it doesn't yeah, mean. Yeah, I think you're talking about Gattaca things, right? Things like the movie Gattaca, right? I, you know, um, what I'm seeing though is that in practice, physicians come together. It's, it's a powerful technology, and we're defining as a community acceptable standards and acceptable use for the technology, right? And those that try to go around it, they, they go to jail. Right. I mean, it, oh, they do. Right. See, that's and it good. has happened. Good. And so we as a community, so we, so we will have some kind of polit- we will have some kind of consensus on saying when you have that technology so readily available, like there will be conceivably a regulation just like there is for anything else and saying, yo, if you're doing this, this is a, an abuse on the human or whatever, whatever yeah. those laws are. Yeah. And, and okay. I, I see, I, I, I see almost no support for, uh, you know, engineering things, right? If, if it, you know, basically that color of your hair, that sort of thing, that's, I don't see any support at all from that in the community. Um, I, there is support to figuring out that someone's in a really bad way and we can really help them restore, you know, their, and restore their life. We'll explore those, right? When we've tried everything else. And I think, you know, that like the blind, the blindness that I, I talked about before, um, that's where it can be very helpful. Um, it's brand new. I mean, my goodness, you know, AI, I love this fact. Um, the modern AI, which is, you know, started with these deep learning systems. That was 2012 with AlexNet, right? Where you can find, it was something called AlexNet. It was the first AI built by people uh, out of Canada, and some people from Google, I think, were involved, that could actually recognize a thousand different items from a bunch of vision that never solved before. So cool. Um, three months later, CRISPR was published. I mean, it's just, look, talk about coincidence. So the AI revolution of deep learning happened three months later, so did CRISPR, right? And sequencing started the price started to plummet all this last decade. And I think the next decade, it's all coming together. 
right? And so that is what it gets me out of bed at five every morning because it's just so exciting. Like I'm try, I try to sleep. That's incredible. Can you can you tell your chat GPT owner friend to update it to real time? Is that happening or? Oh, real time. <laughs> well, that, well, that's the thing with um, language models today. The current state of the art is that you have to train it on the corpus of data, and so you could do things in parallel. You know, each each training is in is in the millions of dollars for the big ones today. That'll come down. Um, but if you want to get more, you you just run them in parallel. So do two, so you get one every five weeks. Do three, you, get a, you know, see how that works. And the question, uh, right? And so now you can have a train, but then they're finding techniques now where you can take search, right? Everybody loves to Google. I Google every day, right? Well, why can't an AI Google? Right. I love that. So the LM goes, hmm, I need an answer. Let me Google. So it then Googles, gets an answer, and pulls in it. So then it can have the information as fresh as Google can make it. And Google spent decades figuring out, okay, stock market, we need that like 15 minute delay, right? Um, you know, hot breaking news, a few minutes, right? Wikipedia for uh, Mozart, it can wait, right? It's, right. it's not going to change much today. Google's kind of fig figuring that out all the time. What's the price of the house? So why not give Google to an AI and let it search on top of it? So that's a technique. Let me make sure I'm understanding this first. Yeah. So 2019 ChatGPT currently, it could conceivably have the technology to know, like, yeah, I don't know what, like, who won the world. Like, if you asked it, the World Series and it's relevant for this paper in 2021, let me go find out. So it's going to actually be doing the thing that, like, we would be doing ourselves just so it can be better prepared and equipped and knowledgeable. But you're giving it the coding to go Google and find out the information more so than pre- uh, you know, building it into its like learning model to where it is today. Right. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So, so what's what's really interesting, Sanjay, is that um, there's thousands of researchers putting a hundred papers a day, hundred a day. I know. I read them all. I, yeah, dude. I don't know. I can barely keep up. So we all like every every week. We're like, hey, what's the cool paper? We're all like, and I find out like in a coffee shop. I find out on chat because everyone's just trying to figure out what's hot. And you see these people like go back and forth. Um, but but. And there's a lot of researchers saying, well, it's not a general AI yet. I said, well, why not? Well, I can't compute. Look, I gave it this math problem and it screwed up. I'm like, why don't you give it a calculator? No, but the AI doesn't do this. So like, why are you doing that? Use a calculator. You, you have it give a spreadsheet. But AI, I can't do a spreadsheet. Well, no, no, no. Give it the tools that humans use. Uh -huh. Oh, that's cool. So if I have something to understand the language model and, and taking a plan, a plan is a set of steps. It's a sequence right? That's a sequence. These are sequence to sequence models. They can generate a plan, run it, kick the data, put it back in front and just keep iterating. Oh, that's brilliant. So now give it a calculator, give it a spreadsheet, give it Google called plugins and, or something else called rag. You hear this called, it's a fancy name, retrieval augmented generation. Just like handing an LLM to Google. I mean, handing Google to LLM. So now right. when we shipped it, I was so excited when we got them to ship it. They were reluctant. Like we really ship search like people just program it like what about someone creating a search well if you do the pricing right it, you can you can still benefit everybody but if everybody grows it's great it's it's very very cheap but it's still it keeps you know it's, it's really a great thing so we're seeing now if lms can search and we now sell this it's amazing you could you could buy google powered search by just you know for, for across the data set and just pay pay per character or something Thing. it's awesome and just apply it to so like you're gonna cringe i know this is gonna hurt you for me to use this example but i'm so sorry scott 
But like, you like in the Matrix when you had those characters, then that person may not know Kung Fu, and you're like, oh shoot, this character doesn't know Kung Fu. Can you download it? You download it, so you give an ability. You didn't you didn't retrospectively put in the ability for the person now, but what you did do is just allow it to be able to then understand what it needs to do. But you just gave it the ability to do it. So like the same thing, the, the AI model is able to just now knows how to Google or now knows how to use a calculator, even though it wasn't maybe inherently in the germline, you know, coding of this like AI technology. Mm-hmm. But it just needed to learn how to use it. So, but if that's correct, yep. Um, you get but it. By piggybacking, can you explain? And and forgive me, and I and I know the answer now, fortunately, because of our relationship. But but please explain how AI is not, or is it? I guess semantic wise, are there different versions of AI? Like the concept of AI is all one, but that doesn't mean something that is AI enabled is the same as something else. And the reason I say that is the is the typical thing. Well, look where Watson turned out, and they just they make Watson hmm. reflect artificial intelligence in general. But there's obviously a whole bunch of steps that went into the concept of what artificial intelligence is and what Watson was prog- programmed with or whatever else, mm-hmm. correct? Like, how does, like, is it just a software update like the iPhone 15 that just came out versus the 10? Is it like, is it that discrepant? Is that inaccurate? Like, just to a total A person. Like, is there, there's obviously different kinds of AI executors or yep. like, or, or models. Like, like, yeah. We need to distinguish the fact that we're talking artificial intelligence. Sure, Watson was artificial intelligence enabled, but in, but but within AI, you can't write off AI if one computer or one, one model doesn't you know, work. Right, one model doesn't work. Or yeah. is it like that doesn't mean that AI itself should be like written off because there's different things, right? I mean, there's different, right? Like, no, yeah, I think you're updates? right. And you know, I think this has fascinated the human race for centuries, for centuries. You know, of, of like. Can we, you know, the thing that separates us from the cows or most people, you know, we have this a language device and we, and, and our brains and we have the ability to perceive. Now cows have that too, but we have a language post-perception um, that allows us to organize, um, you know, organize for hunt, organize for gathering that other animals can't do. We can communicate, right? Um, and allow us to become the dominant species on the planet, right? Um, and we've been fascinated with how, how do you capture that in a machine? Wouldn't that be amazing, Right. And we've done it from anything from animatronics back in the 1800s. You know, you'd go for a, you sit in front of this device and you it'd give you, a, it would think for a second, move its arms that were fake and then spit out a fortune. That was, you know, 1800s, right? And then we had animatronics. Um, and then we had, um, when I first went to school, rule-based systems. So cool. You could like, you, you would just do hundreds of rules of like, when you see this, do that, or searching through all possibilities. And that was like the first, what we call good old fashioned AI. Right, symbolic reasoning, and that was sort of the pinnacle of that. Was I think things like Watson and the chess playing machine, right? Good old fashioned AI, and I think they got all excited about it because we've been chasing this for a long time, centuries as humans, and they're like, "Oh, we're close." And so, it's a tendency in people to get ahead of themselves. Say, "Oh, look, there it is. It's finally here." And the irony is that came out just as this new ch- change in deep learning happened in 2012. Jeopardy's 2011, 2012, this, this little invention and CRISPR by a few different scientists hit. And people are like, that can't be it because it's so simple. Well, yeah, it is so simple because that's e equals MC squared, right? The deeper you get, the simpler it becomes because you're actually finding it the real meaning of life. And so I'm so excited about that because I think now, you know, so you look at these different models, humans are trying these different, different approaches and they're fallible. And so it's like software. 
And so for years, it used to take, um, I guess the last decade or so, if you want to build an AI model using deep learning or the latest science, it's typically about a, a month or so to kind of, you know, define what the problem is well, to make it an AI problem. It takes you another three to six months to gather the data, another three to six months to build the model, and then you ship it, right? That's six to 12 months. Um, now you can pull one of these foundation models like you, like BARD or ChatGPT and give it a couple examples. That's like an afternoon. And then you can take the API and integrate it kind of, you know, within a few days. So you're going from a year to a few days for a practitioner who may not even know it that well. That's amazing, right? And that's that all hit in the last six months. And so you're going to see this proliferation of people, uh, you know, AIs defining, you know, classifying cancers, classifying everything else. The tools now are getting like a spreadsheet, so powerful. People have an idea. I got an idea. Here's the data. It's the phenome. Here's, here's, I can have a result. I can publish it. Boom. I've got a classifier that used to take a year. I did within a week running in the cloud. And I think we haven't just begun to see the impact of that, Sanjay. So, so when you're saying we were getting better, you mean like getting better the, the, what, what, you know, you all were working on to get better in 2010 to 12 to yeah. 14 is just the time it takes, not just, I'm sure. But predominantly, the time it takes to learn better and more is that well, correct? Well, I think you know we when 2012 hit, uh, it's the technique called deep learning, um, and as uh, a lot of folks and they won essentially the Nobel Prize for computing. It's called the Turing. So it didn't have we didn't have deep thinking before that. We, we had variants called neural neural networks. We had that since 1941. Actually, um, they didn't do much, um, and so people figured out a lot of hard problems. Then they finally got it to work at scale because they had enough data, internet scale data they needed. So the idea was correct in 1946, just they needed about a billion times more compute and about a billion times more data. Other than that, it was great. We had that around 2010. And some researchers said, they lit the fire and like, oh, lot this works. And when that hit, then it became, well, who knows how to do this? Maybe 10,000 people in the world. And so those 10,000 people, they would go through the process of building a custom model for the last 10 years. And it would take that about a year in, in practice or a PhD thesis, they used to say, right? Um, and 2017, they, they started, they cracked through this technique to say, well, why are we rebuilding this all the time? Could we build a more general model? So that instead of having one model do one thing, could a general model do lots of things, right? Like customize yeah. it. Yeah, like and, and, the the and then and, and it was started out as just a model that could do, it started with machine translation, which was like the hottest seller. Like if you were to Google, you like, you know, in French, you like to see this in English, you know, that's an AI model. And they figured out a way to go from French to English and English to French. And then it started to figure out, like, wait, this thing started to figure out language we didn't teach it yet. Oh, that's cool. That's amazing. And then they said, well, what if you put in the language that uh, the following is a cat and you give a picture of a cat, could it then spit back and train it that that's, that's a cat? Yes, it can. And so a lot. So now, instead of having to build a custom model, you start with what's called a foundation model, much, much larger. And you talk to it. You basically give it what's called prompts. You know what the prompts are. And you give it examples. And then that then, it, it basically tunes and can now give you an answer. And like, we took that to an extreme with something called MedPalm. And then we had doctors judge the answer, not just the machine saying, is this toxic, right? Uh, is a good bedside manner? 
Is this given enough justification? So doctors would look at not just the output, but really judge on the clinical side. And we first did that, and it barely passed the exams. Three months later, it's acing the exams, right? On that technique, Sanjay, which is use a foundation model that's been practiced, trained on Wikipedia, because it starts to understand human language. And now you can just give it a couple examples, and now you have a tool. And that is... And so what's going to happen is you're going to have thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of these things. And just like software, you know, quality will vary, right? And what a lot of the varies on is, you know, what's the quality data is trained on, right? And how good is it? But the actual yeah. technique of having this neocortex in a pocket, essentially, that's coming. That was what the, was coming, my fact. Yeah. That's the chase. That's what the, the whole thing that you're saying, like, we're getting better, we're getting closer, we're getting better, is how well can we have it positioned to interpret to interpret accurately correct like yeah. that's what you're yeah, optimizing so it's, it's a general purpose um you know it's the kind of thing where it, it'll th these these language models and, and derivations thereof it'll be a, a, a full conversation you'll have with these essentially an ai that has more information than any of us could hold in our heads right all the documents you want to yeah. do and then it comes down to well, what questions do you ask it right and then when it's granted by search, it'll make sure the answers it gives you are within the areas of data they can actually prove to you, right? That's really useful. Yeah. And, and to give you one sliver of how powerful that is, anyone listening, as me as a doc, you know, as a, as a you know, triple boarded doctor, all of my training, this is like, if you think about it, this is what, what it is to be a triple specialized physician. I go to med school for two years. I study the, excuse my language, out of books. Like, right, I just got to understand everything. Biofam, da, da, yep. da, 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 da. Third and fourth year, it's like a baby me that's like, just kind of like, I know what I need and I go into this world. I haven't really like morphed into, you know, a doctor yet. And you just kind of like do a, like a, like a, a, a test, like a, it's not a litmus test, but you're, you're letting it start to differentiate, I guess, for tumor's sake. I have all the knowledge, but in third and fourth year, I need to learn its clinical application, like clinical application of, of all the stuff in my head. And the way I did it, and then throughout residency and throughout fellowship, so six years after, was just what predominantly, I studied for boards and all that, but was learning what my staff or attending had in their brain based on their series of experiences, based on their series and observations of outcomes and inputs. And I was counseled by, I think, some very exceptional, you know, attendings that have had a big effect on me, both on my acumen and, and discernment, but also character and all this stuff. But I had just a few brains to be able to learn internal medicine. Did well on the boards. Next, fellowship. I still had, I had a few brains, five, seven brains to pick for three years to best prepare me to then be an oncologist, hematologist. Now, that's why I could see, like, I, like, I know where you're going with this. Yep. You see where it's going, that's, right? That is the, that is the aptitude of, of, my aptitude was at, at the mercy of the seven or eight brains that I learned from. That's it. Because I'm in training. Like, it's like, because I could only hear. And, and that was just what, what you physically people, could do, because that's what you physically could reach. And, you know, it, and it's, um, you know, it's. And it's the advisor to Warren Buffett. Do you know what his name is? He's, uh, they're like Bob's uh, twins. He has this famous saying, I think it was named in a minute, um, which is- I can uh, Google it. The biggest mistake <laughs> you can do is learn from your own mistakes. Like I was taught to learn from your own mistakes. No, no, no. You should learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. And he does this oh, by gosh. studying the eminent dead. He said, so his advisors are all these amazing people from history that he reads a biography. And that's who he goes to 
for advice and learns from them and then then builds on top of their experience. And you were doing the same thing for the six or seven. So imagine not six or seven, but all the best oncologists in all of recorded history are right. now available to you in an instant. And right. And now not only that, but as they tune it themselves, they may say, Hey, I've trained a bot. Do you want its memory? Yeah, sure. And they may let you use what they've trained to extend your bot. And you're like, I mean, that, and, and that, that is point, yeah. I, no one should be able to fight. Like anyone that says, I don't believe in AI, you're basically saying, I don't believe in the way that you learned a residency and fellowship either, which is just to be on the, on the understanding and interpretation and the mind and processing and, and, and library of experiences and mistakes and counsel from those seven, eight, nine, twelve staff members. That is, if, 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 if the one statement is accurate that AI is working, it's interpreting correctly or to a high efficacy, mm-hmm. which you can test, which you can, you know, very easily you know, have validation studies for that, right? Based on on their execution of like executing the right thing in medicine or whatever. Yeah. Well, if you if if it's validated, to write it off is to say I don't think my doctor or my future doctor should be query or should be privy to seven like seven hundred rather than seven brains. Like, why wouldn't you want that? And if it's in your pocket, this neocortex of interpretation, whatever, it is it is just learning the way we classically train physicians forever and still are today. It is putting an exponential logarithmic level of 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 the counsel, obtaining information, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you, you know, I think this conversation, we should look at this in 10 years, Sanjay, because there's a famous thing with Bill Gates on uh, Johnny Carson. He's trying to explain the internet. It's adorable. Right, we should look at it in ten years, and I think, and you're like, oh wow, this is like 1994, 1995. I think it's 95. Explain what the internet yeah. is on Johnny Carson. Um, I think that's where we're at today with these with these AIs. Is much like 1994 with the internet, and yeah, it. But it's kind of the point where, and you think it's within ten years? Oh, easily, easily, and you know, have you know, we already seeing instances of this for for very concise use cases today, like. summarizing a document to put into a healthcare record. Absolutely. Helping you generate a prior authorization. Absolutely. These are the top use cases. Oh yeah. But where it's going is that what you you were describing the six or seven to 7,000, that's where this, that's where this is heading because now these, these systems can actually exchange information much more efficiently. You know, I can, because they they encode this stuff in a neural representation. It's it's different than a database and a spreadsheet. It's kind of these activational, it's called tensors. They can swap those things like a Vulcan mind mill. Right. And so, now, that's going to be for everybody. And so, like, imagine going to school, an elementary school, and having access to this. Like, well, wait, they need to learn how to do the long division, right? And slide rules. No, they use calculators now. And they're going to go and, but wait, what about language? I don't think you learn anything. Or oh, they learn things that you and I wish we could have learned. So imagine writing an, an essay in seventh grade. And you go home and you've got, how's your homework today? I got a lot, I don't know, 15 minutes. What do you have to do? I have two 10-page papers. Wait, 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah, two 10-page papers. Okay, yeah, that's about right. They bang them out. You bring them in the next day, and the teacher's already pre-read that because it's online, right? She's already read that with her AI. And it's not about, do you form the thesis correctly? Do you have a thesis statement? Do you have the, the statement? Do you have supporting? And then you have a conclusion, you know, the five things in the thesis. That's perfect. The questions are, why do you choose this angle? Why do you ask that question? Um, what what data sources did you feed it? Where did it get its data from? And now it's a much more richer conversation with a seventh grader, right? 
It's not busy work. It's, it's not like, like oh, you missed a comma here, minus two. No, that's perfect, right? Language, perfect. It's about what question do you ask? And it's a higher thought of how do you see the world? How are you perceiving the world? Have you considered these things that were going on when you, and you gave the assignment to your assistant? Wow. And now imagine that all the way through secondary school, all the way into our lives, it's gonna be like a cable bill. Like we're gonna use it as, as often we use Google for everything. Right? And now you bring it into the practice. Why wouldn't you want that? And then it's up to the doctor. Which doctor do you go to? The one asks the best questions. Because they've trained for 20 years, 15 years on, they've got, they have got critical thinking, they're imaginative, they, they know how to use these tools better than anybody else. And like a race car driver with these things. I want that doctor. That's when you, when you say it like that, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's, oh, it's, 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 it's coming soon. And we're, these are, these are the baby no. days. These are like the, you know, what's a browser again? What's a server? Yeah, <laughs> I have this right. internet. Could you, could you go to the website and fax it to me? Yeah. You know, back when email first hit, that's what it was like. Yeah. That's where we're at yeah. today with these AIs, but it's, it's here and it's going to evolve quickly and rapidly. And we're going to do this in partnership between the, like the hyperscalers and AI community and everyday workers, right? And everyday oncologists. And, and- and it, it fits with what I've said for a long time, you know, like about being an oncologist, because I have so many doctor friends that, you know, or, or health professionals that come to me about what seems like the simplest, like question with cancer, right? This is like, I probably get five a day, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like, unfortunately, meaning like there's a lot of cancer out there. And what I explained, I was talking to my wife, Lauren, she's also an oncologist. I'm like, you know, what we are is to a degree, some of our childhood cancer, some of the cancer we haven't seen. I'm like, we're glorified translators, like interpreters. Like I... They don't even know how to look and query what this childhood cancer is, like what the what the features are, what the prognosis, what matters. But we can speak the language because it took us 15 years to understand this language. Like, so when they come to us, it's not like we're like, it's not rocket science as far as what to do, whatever. But those doctors don't even know how to ask Google or what resources, how to ask the questions that are relevant for their child or their spouse or their mom or their dad. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. The doctors... But but the reason that they're that they can't do it is because they haven't learned the language, which takes fifteen years to be an oncologist. That is a very barbaric, rudimentary, distilled down version of like exactly what you were saying. It's like I'm not figuring out that person's like kids, whatever, but I can provide soulless information, valuable information, everything, just because I know how to go find it and I know what it means. Yeah. And and that is I mean, in a high level. Yeah, but and so what I know. encourage you to do, and, and your listeners in particular, you know, they they probably hear about ChatGPT, they hear about Bard, they hear about these things. And they may have tried it a couple of times. I highly encourage all of you to basically find, make something up, find a project. Uh, maybe you throw in a, a party, you know, for your neighborhood, right? And you got to organize it. Do something where you don't have time for it. That requires writing, requires organizing, fi- finding information. And then bring the AI in. Pay the 20 bucks a month or whatever it is. And you'll be fascinated, right? And- Wait, bring it in for the party? You know, like bring, bring it in, it in for- like- as your assistant, start using it. You know, just, you know, just sign up. You know, use Bard, use use Chat, use use something, and start to figure out like how do you talk to this thing? How do you get it to give answers? How, and look at well, it's early, so it makes mistakes. You're like, that's not right. Well, it's early because it. You know, we just released Enterprise Search like July. <laughs> it's just right, and so Enterprise Search. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's it's from the Google Cloud. People can use it. It's, it's it now you can start to see people integrate that with all these language models. There's so much happening, right? And as these things get more and more factual, that's that's going to start to go away. And so now, as you're bringing these things in, you'll find that 
you write faster. Like it, it, I'll tell a, a true story and maybe end with this is that I'm, I'm helping write a book on Gen AI. I signed up for it. Do I have time for this? Hell no. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, no one has time. I know. I'll write. I'll write. I signed up. This guy's oh, amazing. No. He's the most prolific human. Generational AI. He yeah, said general, that's what you general, some, gener, generative AI. It's called generative AI. Generative it's AI, a book okay. on how all this stuff works. And he's like, hey, Scott, will you write a chapter? And I'm like, yeah, sure. On what? Enterprise search. Okay. I've been working on that. Um, it's due Friday. And he's hammering me over Labor Day weekend. Where is the draft? Where is the draft? I purposefully delayed like I did in college because we're all under pressure. You know, the, I'm the worst. I procrastinate then I write. Like there's a thing about, you know, procrastination. I, have, I do it all the time for writing things. And it got to the point where it's due Monday. And I, st- I knew the stuff in my head. I started yesterday at 1.30 in the afternoon. I was done by 6.30, 20 pages. I was like, oh, this is good. This is really good. Because I was using, you know, and now I have access to models. We don't have, they're not yet public, right? So I can use those tools. But I'm, I'm now iterating with this where I've been using AI and other projects for about five months, just forcing myself to use this. And now I'm kind of getting, you know, know how to use these things pretty well that with what they're good at what they're not so i gave myself a challenge where i had no choice i had to finish it but my challenge myself was nope squeeze it do it the last minute and under pressure how fast can you do this and it better be quality now and i had the first person look at it, he goes this is really good I'm like really well it's not bad for a first draft i'm like okay well, that's one we'll see how it goes but i think the chapter's pretty good and you know, uh, this will probably come at the same time the book authors go, you're not supposed to be using that. And I said, well, why not? Everybody's using it. That's where it's headed. So it's very meta. The Gen AI book, or the chapter I wrote, is written by me plus a Gen AI writing it. And be the judge for yourself. It's going to go through peer review. I still, and it's not like writing the chapter, it spits it out. No, no, no. It's much more collaborative effort, right? I write something, it corrects me. I correct it. It goes back and forth and then produce it. 20 pages in five hours. I've never done that, ever. And it was good. With citations. So that's where it's going, Sanjay. And now imagine pajama time. You're a do- doctor. You've got to fill out a mountain of paperwork. You had to go through 89 patients. How long do you have? 10 minutes, no problem. Fly through that stuff because you're looking at generating, giving it feedback, and you're collaborating to do things Let's say, how long does it typically take me? I would think those five hours, easily 100, right? If not, easily 100, if not 200, I'll say 200 hours, right? 200 hours down to five hours. Incredible. And this, and this is the baby versions of this stuff. I mean, I was in a donut shop yesterday. I was bringing donuts. I'm on call this weekend on rounds. And I was bringing it from my floor. And this is in Southern Louisiana, Baton Louisiana. And clearly the person behind knew the woman that was there. And he's like, congratulations, you're publishing a book on Monday, right? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I mean, that's huge. It's such a big deal. She goes, well, she's like, AI yeah, wrote 80% of it. She's like, I collaborated back and forth with, with, with it. And it's on real, this is all real estate, like selling and buying houses or whatever. But like, I was just, I mean, it's a bad news Louisiana. Like, that is that new morning, you know, on a game day? It's just, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to discern. And, and the number of applications it has, not just the, and the analysis of the doctor, but you know, on patient care, hopefully immediately. The sooner we, inter, you know, recognize this value, I think is where it makes a difference. If I could have one, and you, you can answer this if you can come up with one, but if I could have one immediate application for AI, this is this would be it. If I, you know, 
that's that's reasonable. Let's put it that way within like a year or two. It's that this whole concept of you have a 60% chance of responding to first line therapy or 70% or 8%. That's one of the hardest things as an oncologist is when the percentage, the likelihood based on our very kind of macro data uh, was that they should respond to this. And I'm like, odds oh, are good. You should respond to this pill. I this one gentleman, EGFR positive. Usually for lung cancer, you take a pill, 85% chance it goes away. And I had to tell him it did nothing. And I'm like, I know that there is a plethora of data and information that would have equipped me to know that this wouldn't have worked on him. But but the but right now the guidelines is if it's EGFR positive mutated lung cancer, you do you do this um what's called osimertinib yep. and it has a vice your best shot. But I know that he has a mutation somewhere that that an AI would tell me today is like, yeah, bro, that's why it didn't work. But why that's not here breaks my heart because now he's out. Right. Yep. And and that that is one just the one example of many that I will leave everyone to say, we have the means to do it right now and it's not being done. And it causes a lot of pain and turmoil and it's hard on the oncologist. And, and then you talk about all the things that you're talking about. We're talking about probably going to 11th and 12th and 15th lines, right? With, with stage four patients, if not just never letting it be stage four to begin yeah. with, which is and, wild. And so the technique, uh, go back to Lee's phenomics, right? Which is if you, if you can get the signal over time, it's, a, it's longitudinal, right? Signal over time. Um, he's convinced that we can find things like this, right? And you have things like the Oncotype score, which is, I think it's a concentration of 16 different markers, right? Um, and and that, that's well, it's one of the very popular things today. Uh, Grail's another one. Um, and or my friend who's doing this stuff in Israel, right? He's predicting you know, the output of a glycemic response. What it comes down to is you need the data. And so I'd encourage patients to think about could I be a data donor, right? Can I, you know, you're helping me, but can I donate my data that's de-identified? It's just a file. It's not going to know it's me. Um, and could I donate that to science to do this? So if I can donate the data that doesn't know me, but, you know, it goes into an, it goes into systems where companies can actually analyze this and, and find the research and publish it and say, here's how we find, you know, basically the likelihood that you'll respond to the drug or not. You know, pharmacogenomics, for example, right? What's the likelihood you respond to this drug? Because a lot of times, as you as you know, in pharmacogenomics, which is a study of like, if you know the genetic variant, how does it affect your response to a drug? And so a lot of popular drugs are like 10% effective, 5% effective. But when you're on and you're feeling so often you've tried everything else, you're going to try it because you got to do something. But what happens is if it doesn't work, they have side effects, you so give them another drug. That's what we're doing today. If you can just see inside it, and you could look at this and you have the data, which means we need to collect the data, right? That's what, that's what I'm working with Leo is how do you get the data? We're convinced we can do things like this. Um, and then that question, once you learn it for you or for a scientist, we all have it. And, I think, nice. and then it's just that gonna, and then, that then it's going to rapidly evolve science. Cause then the question is like, like you just asked a question, I need to know if this particular medicine, basically how effective it is. That's a question that you want to have answered. Why can't you train a foundational model? It's been trained all the data, so it knows how to answer that question. Bang! You just did another classifier, right? Yeah. And that and, and a lot of so the thing right now is how do we get that data in a safe way? And I think we're working. The community is working through this in terms of how do you share data? How can you use it? Where do you use the diagnostics? And in the Western world, it's going to be as a tool, like a neocortex in the pocket, right? We're all going to have that, and it's a doctor who makes the diagnosis, right? But oh, yeah. what a wonderful thing it is to have to help you through make that diagnosis, right? And you'll be able to see yeah. things at a nanoscale where I couldn't dream about this, you know, when I was in school, right? And now that's going to be standard practice. 
I mean, I mean we're talking about in our lifetimes. Like, oh, in our lifetimes. Sixteen-year-olds are going to Harvard today, and they're sequencing strawberries, right? And a sixteen-year-old is in Harvard. She she knows that. Of course, computers can see. Of course, you can talk to computers. What? This is unimaginable. And that's just that's her status quo. That's all she knows. Right? She's sixteen. Ten years ago, she was six. When this, when this, all this hit. So of course, computer, computers have always been able to see, hear, read, write, collaborate. Why not? And to help cancer care, you nailed it. And that's why I like, you know, Xcure's that 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 uh, sponsors this podcast. They they've been doing that for a long time. De-identified, you know, the the patient is, you know, consents to like if they want to share the data, but that data is shared, de-identified to help catalyze people that are looking at very focal like disease processes and medications and everything else. So it's beautiful. And they use AI and power technology to then curate this like treatment list or this like, you know, suggestion list about their tumor type because they've used AI to say, hey, these are your scenarios. These are people that were in similar scenarios, progressed on XYZ, have these same features, and this is what worked for them. And the only reason they know that is because it's like they're that cancer expert that you could fly all over the world to get that has experience because he or she sees, you know, X number of patients. It queries all of those case reports and can say this is like something. So this, that's yep. where we're headed in general. It's yeah. just to be able to get tailored therapy and be able to share the information that helps us make more educated decisions. Just like I want an older doctor that has more experience. Why do you say that statement? Because you want the oncologist that has more experience, that understands what right. the, what But now you have happening. a 29-year-old doctor who have that's all right. the experience of all the gray hairs in the world of all history. That's right. Everyone's going to have that. It. Like that is, that's astounding. And I think what you'll see is, you know, right now we have, um, you know, we have these things where you're tr- trying to go gather blood, right? Blood donations, right? And they have these things all the time at college, everything else, you campaigns to donate blood. I can see us having campaigns to donate data to help understand and help cure patients we've, we've, we've found something for. We need patients with this background. If you can help access the data, we can build tools that can heal and, and bring people out of harm's way. Right. Yeah. And then how do we work through that? And I think a lot of things we think about, you know, at Google, how do you do that at a and, and privacy safe way? How do we help companies secure that data? How do you exchange the data? And the, and this is active discussions all the way up the White House in the U.S. of how do we do this so that we can do what you just talked about, right? Which is the one thing between yeah. us and that is actually getting the data in the hands of the right researchers who can do the right research to actually advance state of the art. And understand what data means. I think a lot of people get this hyper like reactive you know response like oh data like i don't want you stealing like carbon copying me or or my bank accounts like unfortunately i wish the data was not so comprehensive of a word data means something for your bank statements as it means for and 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 this it's almost this reactive like fear which if you don't understand something of course you're gonna like you know make a decision based on the worst interpretation but i think even just understanding what you just beautifully said Oh, that kind of did. I'm good with that. I'm good with my pharmacogenomics that just tells you what drugs that, which blood pressure meds make me feel like crap and why the, you know, the blood thinner wasn't working and my stent, I clotted up again. All of those questions can be answered. And your father, or your son, or whoever has that stent that re, why did they reblock? Why did this thing fail? If you have those questions or know anyone that has those questions, the reason is because we don't have the data to say this with a higher likelihood this will not fail or that it will work. Right. And, and, and this the is, way we can get that is with data. Right. And these would be like digital clinical trials. Yeah. Right. Right. And there'll be like digital research trials, you know, all under the guise of the FDA, all done well. And I think that's where we're headed, where now we can do things. But imagine how, how much faster that could be. Once you're approved and you're safe and you feel good where the data is going and the, right. you know, the authorized research, all the things we expect from a regular clinical trial, do the same for a digital one. And if you participate, bam, it's just, it's math. 
I mean, and we all win. But the point is, we all win. People that swear yeah. that they're having side effects on medication, your doctor's saying, no, it's not usual, it's not likely. End those words. End the, it's not likely, or it's uncommon, or I don't think it's that, and you just swear it is. That will end when we can actually say, because of your phenome and your genotype and everything, which is everything we're doing now, to say, oh, no, it yeah. definitely is that. Look, like I had, right. Because of your, oh, feel like that. Exactly. You know, I've got a factor five. I didn't know I had that, right? And I went and I had a really bad clot and I had like 8% lung capacity and I was still walking around because I was doing like, I actually did a triathlon with the clot. I didn't know. And the doctors, and they, they'd like, oh my gosh, you know, 8%. And they eventually got to come back down and they're like, hey, and they made me sign a consent form and said, we, this could be a good case for students to learn about, you know, presenting because I was way too young to be presenting these sort of things because factor five is, it's a rare thing. It presents like pneumonia, right? You don't know what it is. Um, and that's and I I remember that that was like about a decade ago or so. I think where we're headed is for digital stuff. You're going to go in and say you've had a strange reaction to the medicine. Would you mind sharing donating your data so that we can now help other people like you? So this never happens to anybody else, right? And I was happy to do that to say please because I almost died, right? And I I felt it was right for, and I and it was, it was a discussion with my with my doctor and then now they took that my medical record my case and it became a case for. Their, their university of, of things to look out for. I think that it's amazing. And now we're going to have these tools that can find these patterns that we can't describe. And that's going to be data-driven medicine. And data Much more health. than your experienced doctor brain. Exactly. <laughs> Much more than the grades on one person. You can right. carry it all together. Scott, this was amazing. I appreciate you so much. Um, I cannot, I'm sure people's heads are just spinning. Um, you do have social media. You put it, you put stuff out on there. So I'm going to link that. And uh, anything else you want to leave us with? I just, I always get just revitalized and re-encouraged by the future every time I talk to you. Yeah, well, we should do this again. This is fun. Um, I, I think, yeah. you know, this space, uh, when it's coming out that fast and that rapid, you know, the 100, pa 100 papers a day kind of thing, and then this space, you know, Monday through Friday, um, you know, it's changing so fast. Five years from now, that's 100,000 papers. Wow. I, I think we ain't seen nothing yet. And everyone, everyone doesn't, really bad in my until it applies to them or their family member. They're like, I just want the latest. I need the research. I need to like, I was sure there's nothing better out there. The, the DMs I get all the time. This is how we get, like, I know some because I have, you know, conversations with people like you and just extraordinary people I have no business sharing air with. But that's me as a collective. Like, I mean, as one person, what about the collective? Like, that's all, those questions will start to melt away. That angst, do I trust or that? It, it just, it, it, there's so many even tangential benefits to the psychology of it all. Uh, and, you know, because a lot recognize that it is at the mercy of your one individual doctor that had the six doctors that made them equipped to be the best they could be. And that that is your limiting reagent. Like at the end of the day, that's right now heterogeneous. Like you don't know where you are on the shuffle deck and this unshuffles it and makes sure everyone has the same deck. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. And so, and so you know, I'm, I'm on, uh, I, I think I've used, I'm not the young doc, I'm tensor doc. You know, tensor is like how you represent things in AI, but I think I'll be posting more about this stuff online. Um, you know, I'm doing some cooking, some interesting things with my brother. Um, and he's talking more about, you know, he and I, you know, you can see online where we're all about cancer because, um, you know, we lost our mother many years ago to this and she asked us to help. And so now I can actually help. And uh, so I encourage you to connect yeah. and then we'll uh, con continue the conversation online. We're so glad you're here. I hope you're, I'm sure your mother is. So we appreciate you, Scott, you and David both. And uh, we'll catch up next time. Right, Thank bye. you, sir.